0: Hey friends, welcome to the Reconstructing Prayer podcast, a one-season, short-run podcast series where I sit down with leading Christian intellectuals and I interview them on the intersection between theological deconstruction and spiritual formation. I'm Andrew Ray Williams, the author of a newly released book entitled Reconstructing Prayer Beyond Deconstructing Your Faith, published by Cascade Books. I'm really excited about today's conversation, so let's go ahead and get right into it. On today's episode, I sit down with pastor and author, Andrew Art, who is a teaching pastor at New Life Church in Colorado Springs. He's also the lead pastor of New Life East. He's a host of the Essential Church Podcast and author of two books, first being All Flame and the second, Streams in the Wasteland, which is an invitation to follow in the footsteps of the desert fathers and mothers into the way of Jesus. Really looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. All right. Well, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. So good to have you on, man.
1: Man, so good to be with you, Andrew Williams.
0: You know, I, I love reading your book, um, on the desert fathers and mothers, and I highly recommend it. Um, and you tell me a little bit or tell our audience a little bit about who you are, where you come from, and also tell us about your writing. Cause I'd love to, we're going to get into some of that. I'd love for you to, 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 to tell us more about that.
1: So I'm, uh, I'm going on 42 years old this summer and i'm a pastor in colorado springs i'm at uh new life church new life has been around about 40 years or so we're like um we're a cool model we're like one of these multi-congregational models and so it's live preaching and live worship and contextualized ministry but then we share like an elder board and a statement of faith and all that and some central services and it's really fun because I've done the church planting thing before where you're kind of just out by yourself. And then this is almost like being in a little denomination or something. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. So I lead, our, I lead the East Congregation of New Life Church. So I'm the pastor of New Life East. We planted it three and a half years ago. And it's going good. It's a wonderful group of people. It's not where I expected to be at this stage in my life, and that's actually kind of a good thing. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit, but uh, I've, uh, I'm going on 23 years married to my wife Mandy. We uh, met and started dating kind of towards the end of high school and got married after my freshman year of college, so we were barely legal. We needed, a, <laughs> we needed waivers from our parents. Not really, but it was close. And Then we have four kids. Our Our oldest is going into his senior year of high school, and our youngest is going to be 11 this summer. So that's us. I'm a Midwest guy. I'm born and raised Wisconsin in a non-denominational Pentecostal charismatic church, probably kind of similar to your background, I'm guessing. You know, I make jokes about people getting slain in the spirit still all the time. So that's like my world. But I went to like Oral Roberts University for business, and then I studied at a Reformed Seminary in Chicago for my MDiv, and moved around a little bit before finally landing here in the Springs. So, oh, and you asked about writing too, right? Yes, yes, yes. yeah. You're writing. So I got the There's the book on the Desert Fathers and Mothers, which was so much fun to write, and uh, I was super surprised. You know, that's you know, anytime you do any writing, you're kind of putting yourself out there, and like. Yeah. How is this going to go? And that book has just been so warmly received by people. I've just, I think there's an appetite for revisiting foundations, you know, that is happening in evangelical and charismatic Christianity. So really warmly received. And then the book before that was this book, um, All Flame. Yes. And the subtitle is Entering into the Life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I've called it like a Trinitarian Spiritual Theology that focuses especially on how seasons of like crisis, suffering, disappointment, desolation can deepen our union with God. And uh that was also really, really well received. And I've loved I've loved seeing how that book is done. I've got a friend who's like teaching it. He's using it for his seminary courses that he teaches at a uh at a correctional facility down in Florida.
0: Oh, that's great. initially, then- yeah, we have a we have a couple uh similarities. So I met my wife. When we were probably fourteen. Wow. Yes, and so we we dated in uh, later high school and uh, got married. Right after our freshman year, okay. So all right, man, let's go. Yeah, that's right. And then I yeah. brought
1: I brought three cardboard boxes full of stuff into our marriage relationship. That's that that was the stage of life that I was in. That's all of my material possessions. Oh
0: man, that sounds really three similar. Cardboard I, boxes. I brought that and a ton of baggage, and uh, yeah, uh, and, yeah. That's, and, and those things. But yeah, no, we uh, love my wife and. Um, yeah, background very similar to Pentecostal, Charismatic, yeah. probably evangelical. Yeah. So I think we're and I think that's what's gonna be helpful is um I, I want to talk to you today about um this whole phenomenon called deconstruction. And it's a it's kind of a tangled mess, really, when we use this word because there's so many different things that people mean when they're talking about their quote unquote deconstructing their faith or or wrestling with their faith, or challenging their faith. And, um, you know, s- certainly some people mean that they're actually wanting to deconvert mm, Christianity. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that have just grown up with a certain spirituality, certain certain understandings of God's theologies, and they're beginning to question some of those, those mm-hmm. things that have been handed to them. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what I kind of want to center our our conversation around is trying to help people in those kinds of scenarios help us move um, or, or see this as an opportunity for spiritual formation rather than something that's just deformative. Yeah. And it sounds like both of your b- b- books were kind of aimed towards that, at least the first one, helping people navigate some of the difficulties of life. And yeah. then the other um, you share pretty openly in your book about how, you stumbled upon uh, the desert fathers and, and mothers during a difficult time in your life. So I'd love to just hear a little bit about, your share your story with us and, and tell how you might think some of your own journey can help others illuminate a path for us, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I, you know, the story behind Streams in the Wasteland was uh, after I left seminary, I served as an associate pastor at, at a church in Oklahoma for a little bit, and then my wife and I answered a call that really some friends kind of put in front of us to help them get a church planted in Denver back in 2009. And so we loaded up our three little kids at the time. We have four, but we had three at the time in our Dodge Grand Caravan, and we trekked from Oklahoma to the big city, Denver, you know with a lot of hopes and dreams. And I remember, you know, in maybe the year prior to that move, I had heard, I think it was Rick Warren said something about how, um, a lot of pastors, when they plant churches, they leave after founding the church, they leave somewhere between years like 14 and 17. And he said, that's fine. A lot of times what happens is there's a kind of homeostasis that sets in in the system and the pastor gets a little antsy and the congregation doesn't really want to change in the way that the pastor would like to see it change. So it makes sense for the pastor to leave. He said, but if you can stay and persevere through that, the church kind of leaps up to a new level, but also the pastor grows in in wisdom because they get to see ministry now across multiple generations. so. So it's like, You know, the kids that you say dedicated or baptized at zero years old, you also watch them graduate at 18, but then maybe you also watch them get married and have kids and start growing up. So you see ministry in this new dimensionality. That's a long way of saying that stuck with me. And I just remember thinking, uh, that sounds like the most amazing thing I can think of to do with my life. Like I'm going to go one place. I'm going to go to a city that I I think is cool with some people that I love. And I'm going to do work that I love for a long time. And then I'm just going to die there in that city. And they'll bury me in the backyard. And that's how I always talked about it. That's how I always thought about it. I always said to the church, I was like, 30 years, we're going to do this. It's a life work. You know, we're going to go for it. And as you know, you know, if you want to hear God laugh, you make plans. Yeah. And it just didn't work out that way. And it took a long time for me to come to grips with the fact that like that dream is not going to work the way that you thought it was going to work. And, you know, people leave churches all the time. I I think for me, I just had my identity so wrapped up in that church. I had that identity wrapped up in my work there and in our dreams for the future that when I left, Andrew, it initiated a full-blown existential identity crisis, to use Enneagram language. I'm an Enneagram four. So for me, meaning is everything. And, like, even though there was nothing, like, really spectacular about that work in Denver, you know, three, four, five hundred people kind of coming at its peak, still because of what we were doing and how we were thinking about it, my meaning, my, like, my meter of meaning was at a 10 all the time. So to leave that inaugurated this, like, I don't even know what anything, I don't even know who I am anymore. And I've told people that leaving Denver to come to Colorado Springs felt like being put in a witness protection program. You know, it's like you used to be this guy over in this city, but now you're going to be this new guy over in this new city. Here's your life. Here's your job. Here's your whatever. And it was such a context switch, too, going from this really urban, gritty, missional, liturgical, mystical thing in Denver to, like, this big box evangelical megachurch that we shared a lot of values with internally, but the external expression was not the same. So a witness protection program, it was just such a bizarre time. And I just didn't know who I was anymore. I didn't know what my path forward was supposed to be. I was very lost inside my own mind and heart and skin. And somebody during that season said, you need to read The Desert Fathers and Mothers. And I said, why? And they said, because, and this, was, this just so stuck with me. They said, because the thing that you're trying so hard to run away from, this like collapse of your world, this coming apart of your sense of meaning and future and even who God is in some ways, in the midst of that, The Desert Fathers and Mothers sought that out. Like they were looking for that. And they saw it as this like sure pathway to God. There's like a deeper life in God available to you. And so I bought Benedict Awards alphabetical collection of the sayings of the Desert Fathers and Mothers, started reading it religiously. and I found that somehow these folks just had language. like they they charted the uncharted waters for me. They helped me understand how you find God in the wilderness, how you find God in the place mm-hmm. where it doesn't feel like God can be found. And honestly, it, turned my, it just turned my faith inside out. It overhauled my way of looking at myself, my way of looking at, at the world, and my way of looking at God. And I, I told somebody recently, I think it also put me back in touch with some elemental realities of the faith that I had lost sight of and kind of my ego ambition to see all this stuff that we wanted to do in Denver come to pass. So uh, that that's a bit of the story behind it, but I, I I think what they gave me was an ability to see God in forsaken places.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's really really good because I think, I mean, as a pastor, and I'm an and I'm in an green three four. All right, all uh, right. And I so see I, can, you. I can I can understand a little bit of that in your feelings and uh, existential. I I get it, and I think you know, for any of us, whether we're pastoring or whether we're just doing any kind of meaningful work, whether it's being a parent, uh, mm-hmm. being a stay-at-home parent, whether it's, um, it's just our role as a as a spouse or, or whatever kind of vocational thing we're we're in, it's so easy to begin to draw our identity from that. And yep. I think that at some point, whether it's a change of vocation, a change in life circumstances, relationships, financial hardships. Inevitably, we are going to hit a wall, right? Yep. And that, those are the points where I think people begin to, to begin to struggle, right? Being like we said, being in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And I love that you were able to, to change your mind and grow on some things with new voices. I think that's a perfect picture picture of what I'm hoping to call people toward in -hmm. this book is that, um, we can move beyond disassembling various things in our life, but to rebuilding it in new ways, right?
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And
0: what? obviously you found the desert fathers and mothers, but what other um, people, relationships, things were able to help you make that turn?
1: Well, loving relationships with people who really cared about me was so important because I I found that during that, that season i was so coming apart at the seams that i i just had this tendency to kind of bleed all over anybody you know that asked me about And it was almost impossible to avoid especially as i'm getting to know people at the church you know they'd be like oh it's so good to meet you pastor you know we get coffee and then they'd say tell me your story and it was like oh god almighty no but also <laughs> i need to tell somebody the story And so I just found that I was constantly like, oh my gosh, like oversharing with people. And so I think the voice of the Spirit in that season so much was like, just locate this in your loving relationships. The people that really care about you can hold this. So I found myself running to them. But a thing that I did in, in that season as well that I'd never done ever before was I sought out a spiritual director. And I didn't have anything against spiritual directors. I was totally in favor of it. I knew the theology of it and all that. I just had never done it. And I sought out a spiritual director. That was one of the best things that I've ever done in my life. And this guy, we would meet on the weekly or, you know, every other week. And he was just so, he was just, he's just, he's a gifted director. And what he would do is he would listen to me kind of vomit my vexation all over him. And then he just kind of lovingly held up this mirror for me and helped reflect back to me my own experience and help me see things in a new light. Like I remember, I'll just give you an example of this um, because I think that we do, I think part of the way that we come to grips on our own story is we have to see it through somebody else's eyes. Hmm. And he said to me one time, like I just went into this whole thing about Denver and how that was so painful. And he said to me, like he kind of took it all in. I, I probably talked for 45 minutes. And then he took it all in and he said, Andrew, do you know what occurs to me? And I said, what? He goes, Denver is your burning bush. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, here it is. We're in this office. It's nine months after the fact. But that thing is still on fire for you. It's burning, but it doesn't, it's not burning away. And I was like, okay, I can see that. And he said, but do you remember the other thing about the burning bush? It's not just that in Exodus 3 that it burned, but it didn't burn away. But also that the glory of God was on it and God Mm. was speaking to Moses in it, calling him into his new vocation. He said, I think you cannot, you have got to stop trying to resolve what happened in Denver. And instead, you have to start listening to what happened in Denver. Mm. The bush is burning, but it's not burning away. What is God saying to you? And I'm telling you, Andrew, like that, just that little thing shifted it for me because I was trying to get over the pain of leaving that life work. Yeah. And I wanted to resolve it as quickly as I could so that I could move into the next chapter. <laughs> and here was this invitation. Really what it was was an invitation to enter into a more compassionate, curious, and uh, integrative relationship. It was an integrating relationship with my past where instead of bracketing that out and pushing it away, it was more about listening to it. And so I started doing that. And I just kind of sit with that whole thing in Denver in the presence of God and go, God, just unfold your wisdom. And I found that as I lived with the mystery of that thing and that sense that it was a burning bush, as I went through the next few years, there would just be like these insights and these moments of wisdom and revelation that helped me understand what I was supposed to be doing in the next in the next season. So beyond just reading the desert fathers and mothers, honestly, Andrew, like the, the biggest thing, was finding a wise guide, like a Gandalf type figure, you know, <laughs> yeah. That could just be like, well, look, but look again. Yeah. Because things may not be exactly what they seem. And I needed that very desperately.
0: Inevitably, I think whenever we go through something difficult or we begin to rethink an issue that we held we just kind of naturally held from growing up in the church, if that's our background or whatever. Um, and we begin to change our mind on on things theologically as a result of pain or as a result of just growth and learning. Inevitably, right. that's going to shape our spirituality in some ways. And uh, oftentimes, those are the times when we when we begin to, to have a more difficult time connecting with God because the ways we used to connect with God have shifted. Yeah. Do you ever resonate with that? Has that ever happened with you before?
1: Yeah, big time. I mean, I could think of, I could name a hundred ways where that resonates with me. But uh, what I, I like, I'll give you an example of how that resonates with me. I when I think about, for instance, my life of prayer. You know, your book is it has a lot to do with prayer. Here, when I think about my experience with prayer, I think about growing up in the Pentecostal Charismatic Church, and the only mode of prayer I really knew because it was the form that was championed the most was like high octane <laughs> holy spirit sessions yeah. where what i'm doing like i'm in my little office here as we're recording this you know where what i would do in my devotional time is i read the scriptures for a little bit but then i would walk and i would pace back and forth and i'm just getting after it praying in tongues and calling down the fire and trying to fill the air with as many words as possible you know and there is place for that and it's beautiful and the spirit absolutely moves through that but i got to a place in my 20s where i just i couldn't do that anymore yeah and i didn't know what to do with that i felt like i wasn't finding god in it but i didn't have the language yet or the understanding of other modes of prayer and it took a while before all of a sudden i'm discovering Brother Lawrence, and I'm discovering St. John of the Cross, and Teresa of Avila, and some of these other folks who talked about the contemplative way, yeah, like the way of quietness, like finding God in silence and stillness. And I started playing with kind of those modes of prayer. And all of a sudden, I find that, well, it was like spring up a well within my soul, like I'm, oh my gosh, like that. And what was crazy was, what I was seeking in that first mode of prayer, kind of that Pentecostal charismatic calling down the fire, was I was a, I was seeking an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I know what an encounter with the Holy Spirit feels like. I know what a touch from heaven feels like. I just hadn't, I wasn't finding it anymore there.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And so all of a sudden I'm doing the contemplative thing and the thing that I had found, I used to find in this other thing, now I'm finding in this new thing. Yep. Yeah. It's just so it's the same thing, but like the delivery system almost or the vehicle had changed. My point in saying that is that the that movement out of, like, where the one thing that you're doing is not working anymore, yes. it's really painful. Yes. And what you think is, my relationship with God is dying. Yes. My faith is sinking. The whole thing is going under. And that's not true. Yeah. What's happening is there is a breaking down or a drying up of an old well so that God can Bring about a new experience of faith, a new expression of faith, so that God can dig a new well in your life. So there's been lots of things like that, and it's not just the experiential. Sometimes it's been the theological that there were containers theologically that no longer could hold God as I was coming to understand Him in the Scriptures and by my experience. Yeah. Well, until you have the new framework, it's re- I mean it's liminal space, right? You yep. know, a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, will be familiar with that. The in betweenness of it all is like ugh, nobody likes that. We want to be in places that are familiar. The unfamiliar is very scary to us, but I think that's how God transforms us. I think he transforms yeah. us by going, hey, this was good enough for this season, but now I want to lead you into something new, and we have to be willing to—I mean, we talk about this verse all the time when I was a kid—we have to be willing to walk by faith and not by sight. Yes. We have to be willing to walk by faith and not by our sense of comfort with what we're doing. Are you willing to open the door and venture into the unknown with God again? And I do think one of the reasons that our faith sometimes grows stale and dies is because we have we've lost the romance of it. Yeah, the romance of it is God taking us to new places. You know.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And yeah, my experience has been very similar as well. I I think the only kind of prayer that I was often talked about in some evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal circles is petitionary prayer, asking God for things, or kind of the spiritual warfare kind of prayer that that you were talking about. And, right and you know I think about like you mentioned brother Lawrence you know he has he says this he says like at one point in his you know be- little little book uh practice the presence of God you know as far as my set hours of prayer um they're only a continuation of the same exercise yeah. that I've been doing all day and I oh. just and I and I love that just this this that prayer I think that's get what gets at what the Apostle Paul says you know, Praying at all times, yeah. And there's something that we can enter into, and these set prayers of times. These that's just a continuation of what I'm doing, yeah. And that's the kind of way in I think of helping us to see our lives more holistically. Can you instruct us on how to live a prayerful life that is childlike? That is, as Jesus says, you know, become like children. That's childlike, yet
1: also one that's engaged with the big questions of life and faith. I mean, aren't kids like inherently curious? At least mine are. Yeah. I mean, it's that I think kids are constantly like, what is that, Dad? What is that, mom? You know, it's got four legs and it's hairy. That's a that's a that's a cow, right? And we go, no, that's actually a dog, you know. <laughs> and so we're we're helping to clarify the nature of the universe to their hungry and thirsty minds. And they can trust us because They know instinctively that we have their best interests in mind and we are the best source of authority on those things. And I think the same is true of our relationship with God. I think that God invites us into the mystery. Like I've always loved Moses' great statement in Deuteronomy, where he said, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. You know, like there are things that God has hidden from us, but then he says that the things revealed, they belong to you. And To your children forever, that we may follow all the words of this book of the law, or the psalmist said, Open my eyes, that I may see wonderful things in your law. Paul constantly talked about Christ being the place where He's the He's the treasure house of all wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And so I think that we can crawl right up into the lap of the triune God with all of our best questions. And I think that we can expect that God will unfold the mysteries to us exactly in a way that's timeful and needful for us. So I don't think that those things are in competition at all. And I also think, you know, there's like that great statement by T.S. Eliot, the poet from the last century, who said something to the effect of like, you know, we're going to go on this journey. And at the end of all our searching, we'll find ourselves back at the place that we started, but we'll know it for the first time. And there was another philosopher that talked about the seek the simplicity on the far side of complexity. And I I think I have brought so many questions to God and I have a very hungry and curious mind. And whenever I have those moments of like, oh, there it is. That's that's what I was seeking. What it does to me is it does. I don't know that it makes me more adult. I think it makes I think it inherently makes me more childlike. I think it throws me into. I think it throws me into awe.
0: Yes, that's 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 wonderful. And I'd love to hear your thoughts if there's people listening to this podcast that have come here because they're wrestling with their faith, or and they want to, or they're trying to just relearn their spirituality, how can I connect with God in the midst of some of the factors you've said through the busyness of life, through uh, I'm living in a wilderness season right now, and some of the ways that I've I've found prayer to work aren't working. What well, what are your some as just a pastor? How would you exhort those people to begin to try to find God in the midst of this?
1: Well, you could pick up a copy of Streams in the Wasteland. find. yes, You definitely this. should. It's a great. I would recommend you do that. It is a great book. I've read it. And I, I can say
0: that truthfully.
1: <laughs> uh, I think finding. I think you have to start. You have to start curating in your world. Um, more voices who can help you understand your own experience. And so for me, everything about the theological quest of my life and everything about the practical spiritual quest of my life was all about like there was something that wasn't working or something I was fascinated in and I just needed more of. So I think it's a matter of starting to curate the voices. I I think that part of the reason that people start running out of gas in evangelical Christianity is that it's just kind of it's just it's just not enough. I think that our modes of spiritual practice are just a little bit too thin. And then I think that our theological vision isn't broad enough and inspiring enough to keep us going. And so I think it's finding those voices. I think, I think you got to read Brother Lawrence, you know? I think you got to read Madame Guyon, Experiencing the Depths of Jesus Christ. I think you need to read Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross. I think you need to grab some of the writings of Mother Teresa And how she wrestled with darkness in her life. I think you can go back to the Desert Fathers and Mothers. I think you can read St. Isaac the Syrian and listen to him talk to you about the value of silence, you know. Um, I think that you can read about the Benedictines. Like, I just got done reading this beautiful book by Esther DeWall called Seeking God, the Way of St. Benedict, which is this beautiful kind of updating of Benedict's way for modern life. So, so wonderful. And the more you read and ingest that stuff, the more it will give you language and a new imagination for how to access God in your experience. So I think you have to be willing to kind of go on the adventure. And then I, I also think just evangelicals, particularly, and charismatics too, is so such an anti-intellectual thing that was characteristic of my tradition growing up, although that's correcting itself more and more. But I think you got to read stuff that takes your breath away and ushers you into the depths, you know? Like for me, like the gateway drug when I was 16 was reading C.S. Lewis and being like, oh, and then Lewis is quoting Augustine. And I, so I decided to pick up the confessions. And here's a guy that predates me by 1700 years, but he's given voice to some of my own longing. And he's doing it with this theological language that takes my breath away. So I I think that's a kind of a roundabout way of saying, it. and we talked about it earlier in the, in the podcast or in the episode here, Andrew but you talked about like deconstruction. And I, I do think that there are some people that are just wanting to deconvert and they just want to get out of it. They don't believe in any of it anymore. And that's that's fine. That's its own thing. But a, a deconstruction inside the faith, sometimes I think that people feel like they're losing their faith, but what they're really losing is the framework that held their faith in that season. So I think it helps us to become students of the tradition, not just on the practical side, but also on the theological side. Give yourself over to it. Because Absolutely. there's, I think there's almost nothing. I mean, the Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. I don't think there's anything that we can experience that hasn't already in some way been accounted for in our tradition. That mm. To me, there's just almost very little, if nothing, that's genuinely new. I think it's there. Yeah, you've got to go looking.
0: That's right. That's right. Well, man, I think that's such a good, that's such a good exhortation. And I, I just want to, again, add my voice to say, yes, it's bigger. The Christian faith the traditions of the, the Christian faith is so much bigger than our very narrow view of it. And God is bigger than even our ideas can contain. That's right. And so there's so much more that we can discover about who God is, how he's working in the world. And um, so I, I love that. I really encourage it. I I would really encourage everybody to check out both of Andrew's books, uh, but especially his new one. Um, and you can find them, I I assume, both on Amazon, right? Yeah, they're both there. And uh, so definitely check out Andrew's books. And Andrew, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate your wisdom. And I know that this is encouraging only me,
1: but the people who are listening. Thanks, man. It was so much fun to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks again.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode where I interviewed Andrew Art. If you are interested in going deeper, I have a whole book on these ideas and actually how to begin to reconstruct faith and move beyond deconstruction to a more full holistic spirituality It just came out with cascade books you can get it on amazon or pretty much anywhere books are sold really look forward to some more podcasts be dropped in the coming weeks they're gonna be dropped every single week so make sure and subscribe to the podcast and really looking forward to sharing more conversations with future guests thanks so much everybody and we will catch you next episode